chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I consume a lot of news pretty much on a daily basis. And the problem with that, of course, is that it's very easy for the news to consume you. It's a very, very slippery slope. I begin every morning with this sort of ritual that includes not only coffee, but a 15-minute sort of world news roundup. I listen to a podcast from NPR called Up First, and it helps to keep me grounded in what's going on in the world around me. And sometimes, like this last week, you get those little fun stories, like the Sunshine Protection Act. I don't know if you heard about this bipartisan effort to really solve all of our country's and world's problems, right? No more daylight savings. Well, good, right? I know I feel much better this Sunday than I did last Sunday because we've solved this world issue. See, as it comes to be, not all the stories are sunshine and rainbows, right? And we see this playing out. For example, this Last week, in this very same podcast, I got to hear stories about divisive politics, about an ongoing pandemic, and daily, not one, but multiple stories dealing with the unfolding war in Eastern Europe in Ukraine. And unfortunately today, the news report that Jesus receives locally isn't any much happier. They come reporting to him that Pilate has murdered a group of, of Galileans who were worshiping in the temple. The phrase used is he mingled their blood with that of the sacrifices. I mean, just take a moment to think about what that really means. That image that it paints for us is a horrific one. But it's in some ways a doubly horrific event. Because not only have innocent people in their place of worship, nonetheless, have been murdered, but... These are Galileans. In other words, these are Jesus' kin. These are probably people and families and relationships that Jesus knows personally. This is meant to invoke something within Jesus. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, then there's the story of the tower at Siloam that collapses. Collapses and kills 18 people in the process. And as I hear these news stories this morning in our gospel, it's hard to not think about our own times. About the own times right now, the innocent suffering, watching people suffer under regimes that are oppressive, even in places that are supposed to be places of refuge, like their homes and in their churches. Makes me think of last June, the collapse of, two, of condominiums, killing not 18, but 98 people in the Surfside condominiums. In other words, these stories seem to perpetuate themselves all throughout history. And Jesus knows, Jesus knows the question that is obviously going to follow. The question we all ask when we face suffering. Why? Why does this happen? In the theological world, we call this theodicy. It's the problem of evil. And it's a problem because, you see, if we ascribe to God the ability to know all things and to have all the power in the world, why doesn't God stop these evil and terrible things from happening? Why doesn't God intercede on behalf of the innocent to ensure that suffering no longer paints our world experience? And I hate to disappoint you. Jesus isn't going to give you the answer today. And if he's not going to give you the answer, I sure as heck am not going to give you the answer. In fact, the closest Jesus is going to get us is a parable, and parables are intentionally vague. But that's what we get here this morning. But before we get into the parable, Jesus does do one thing. He does remove from the table the argument of divine balance, as I like to call it. This idea that, this idea that you deserve whatever comes to you. And that leads into those rhetorical questions that he asks. He says, were these people who got murdered in the temple, were they worse sinners than the rest? Or how about the people in the the Tower of Siloam, were they worse sinners? In other words, did they deserve what was coming to them? And his answer is a resounding no. No. Of course, that's not what's happening. And in some ways, actually... It would be beneficial to Jesus. It would be beneficial to God if the answer was yes, because it would get God off the hook. Human suffering would no longer come back to a question to God. It would be our own fault. You get what you deserve. Every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But Jesus won't let himself, won't let God off the hook that easy. And so what does he do? He does what he always does when facing a difficult question. He muddies the waters further with a parable. And he pivots. He pivots from trying to explain why suffering happens to an explanation of how we can respond in light of suffering. And it's not what we expect because it's repentance. Repentance is the pivot point for Jesus here today. And I think in order to even have a chance at understanding what's going on here in this parable, we have to first try to reconcile what is repentance. What does that mean to repent? What repentance is not is it is not feeling guilty or feeling bad about something that we've done that was possibly wrong, right? Jesus makes it clear that we're not victim-blaming here, right? Jesus isn't saying these people did something wrong and if only they'd repented, they'd be safe. Instead, here, 
repentance is a positive response in the face of suffering. It's turning oneself back to God that we may experience the fullness of God's grace and God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. This is the same repentance that John the baptizer was proclaiming as he stood on the banks of the River Jordan so many chapters earlier in the gospel. Repent. Turn your life back to God. And it's with that framework then that we enter into our parable. Our parable this morning begins with a wealthy landowner. And the landowner is, for lack of a better phrase, frustrated frustrated at the production of this particular fig tree in the garden, or perhaps better put, the lack of production from this fig tree. And so, like any good landowner, he's going to cut his losses, literally cut down this tree because it hasn't produced as he wants it to. He says it is a waste of soil. A waste of soil. That's quite a harsh statement to make. And it's then and only then that the gardener comes and intercedes and also provides future opportunity. The gardener steps in and negotiates for additional time, says, give it one more year. But also, beyond buying more time, the gardener aerates the ground around it and pours manure at its roots. In other words, the gardener intercedes and gives this tree every chance to thrive one more time before any final decision is made. Gives it every chance to bear the fruit that the owner expects of it. To bear the fruit that the gardener knows it is capable within it. And there, there is our parable. And at the same time, this gardener knew that this tree isn't just going to magically start bearing fruit again. But instead, this tree is going to need to be nurtured. This tree is going to need something extra in order to produce the way it is intended to produce. And it's a weird parable. But I love the way that this frames it up. I read this week a theologian who said, The manure around our feet is the very blood of the one who pleads for our justification before God. The manure around our feet is the blood of Christ that provides for us new opportunity, new opportunity to live, to bear the fruit of the resurrection, peace and hope and love, those things that our world desperately needs more of in this moment. And we are reminded that we don't control the suffering of the world with our actions. We can't even explain quite often the suffering of the world with our actions. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't take action in light of the world's suffering. One of the things as a parent that's really hard to explain to your kids is this very problem of suffering, right? Because kids suffer in a variety of ways. And one of the things as a parent that we've started doing is we've reminded our kids that when something doesn't go right, when they have a conflict with a friend or when they're upset, we remind them that you can't control what other people do, but you can control how you respond. And my hope is that you respond in love 
And my hope is that you respond in grace. And my hope is that you respond with forgiveness. Because those are the fruits in which you are capable of sharing. There is an opportunity this day before us to do something, to respond in the face of the world's suffering, to turn our lives back to God and to bear the fruits that we can find therein. Because you see, the way of God, as it turns out, is not a way of safety. It's not a way of security. In fact, today, as a reminder, it's not even a way of concrete answers. But, and this is really important. The way of God is a way of life in a world that is consumed by death. And so let us bear that fruit this day and always. Because you see, we are nurtured in our faith, nurtured by the blood of Christ nurtured by the community of Christ to do that work in a world that needs it now more than ever. Thanks be to God. Amen.